Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent, preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all in all. Thank you, Father, for this section and this time. Father, we can come together as brothers and sisters, eternal, and look at your word and understand it. Father, knowing that the author of Holy Scripture resides in each one of us. And so, Father, when there is a question, you help us. So, Father, I ask now that instead of us trying to master your word, that, Father, your spirit, the power that spoke existence into being, would master us. And that we would hold these truths dear and dear and dearer to our hearts. May we hunger and thirst for your word as we await the day that our faith becomes sight. In Christ's name, amen. We've been looking at this letter, and we have, I, I'll reiterate, we, the first three chapters of this book shows us the rights that every Christian has. I don't care how mature you are, how immature you are. I don't care if you've backslidden, fallen off the cliff, or whatever you've done. The rights are still there. The honor is still there to be called a child of the Most High God. And the privileges of being a child of the Most High God. Okay, so now what we're looking at, on the basis of what I kind of laid out as a foundation last week, because of who we are, this is what it looks like in 4, 5, and 6. Okay? The question I think that each of us have to ask, I think that each Christian has to ask, do I want to be a meaningful part of God's church, Christ's body? Or am I just taking up space? Okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'll come and do it. I'll get me a little Bible study stuff going and then I'll be done. Do I want to be someone who matters? Do I want to be uh, someone who radiates the doctrine of God to the advancement of His kingdom? See, what we've looked at in the first part of this book, if you're a believer, then this is the commitment and this is the standard by which you will walk worthy. That's how he starts it off in chapter 4. Walk worthy. Walk worthy. Why? In light of these three chapters, walk worthy. See, when we enter into the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, that phrase that I just cherish, in Him. We entered the body of Christ. We entered by faith. And we put our trust now in the Lord Jesus Christ. He becomes our Lord and our Savior. That day, we became a part of His kingdom. We became a part of His household. We became a part of His family. We are, to to use Jesus' illustration in John 15, we are one of the branches off the root. We become a part of Him. 
Becoming a part of the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives each of us rights and privileges. And riches unsearchable. He gave us not out of his riches. He gave us according to his riches. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. In him. In him. Listen, I want you to understand something. This is every Christian. Every Christian from the moment that they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. From that moment forward. That's all their possession. He set aside the future for each of us. In the ages to come, He will pour out His grace and His kindness towards us who believe. He has done all of this for us. Every child of God who has ever entered in to the body of Christ. Now, it's chapter 4. And he starts off with one of my favorite terms. Therefore. On the basis of the kind of promises that we've seen in chapters 1, 2, and 3. What would you ask of me? And Paul tells us loud and clear. Walk worthy of such a calling. I told you that when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I'd gone to work on a Monday, and I woke up in a hospital on Wednesday. Well, I don't know. That was the first time. I knew what was going on on Wednesday. And the first thing that went through my head was, you're not your own. You've been bought and paid for with a price. Okay? Now, of course, me being so strong in the faith at that point in my life, I argued with him. And, uh, you know, we're not playing fair. So, anyway. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That's what he says in verse 1. Walk the way that you are. Live up to that standard. The Lord expects us to act like members of his body. He expects us to aim at what he aims at. He sets the goal. And you know what I found? That should be ours. Whatever God's goal is, should be our goal. That's his objective. He expects us to be like him because we are his family one of the texts uh, has troubled me through a lot of my life can't get away from it but it comes out of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 15 for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men By doing right, you shall silence ignorant men. You shall silence the critics. Now, you know what's really cool about that verse? This is the will of God. So act like me and the critics have to shut up. 
Listen, the lost don't offer anything. Let's be realistic about it. If you listen to lost people right now, all they do is criticize. They'll tell you what's wrong, and they'll criticize. They don't offer anything. But yet I look around at the church, and I see so many Christians give the critics ammunition. It's kind of sad. So many Christians don't walk worthy of their calling. There was a seminary professor in California named Dr. Cripp. And I remember a quote that he said, and it's, it's always, it is so profound and yet it is so simple. This is his quote. Quote, the whole Christian life is simply becoming what you are, unquote. Now, if you think about that, that is about as simple as it gets. But then you start really thinking about it. You're like, whoa, dude. <laughs> this is who you are. So this is how you are to live is what the Apostle Paul is moving into. He's told you what our position is. Now he's going to tell us what's practical. Living up to who we are. Simple. I'm in the body of Christ. Being in the body of Christ, God expects us to conform. Look like a Christian. Look like Christ. Not conforming to the rules. And, listen, I, I see this a lot. Of people trying to conform to the rules and regulations. But they do it out of fear. And it's not to be done out of fear. I watch it done out of legalistic pride. And it's not to be done out of legalistic pride. But conforming out of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do it with great affection. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Molded. Do not be conformed into this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it literally means to be formed into this world is to be pressed into its mold. I look at a lot of churches today and they are pressed into that mold. They look like the world. I want to do what God wants. What do you want me to do, Lord? I want to be what He wants me to be. I want to walk worthy. I want to walk worthy as a son of God, a child of God. That should be your and my single greatest passion. The Apostle Paul's laying the foundation for it here. Listen, a believer calls itself a child of God. A believer's joined to God's family. A believer belongs to the Heavenly Father. Okay? Act like it. Listen. If I belong 
to God of creation, if I am in His family, if I am in Christ, if I am in the body of Christ, if I am in the church, then that in itself says an awful lot about how we should live. If I am my father's child, then I will honor my father. I'll give you another little thought about this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you. And if you're standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Okay? Fascinating phrasing he uses here. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. Conduct yourself worthy of that gospel. Match your conduct to the gospel. Now listen. Each of you need to ask yourself a single question right now. On that verse. How exalted is the gospel to you? Okay? And you guys that have known me for a long time always know that I have another question over here, right? How exalted is the gospel in our lives? The exalted reality of the gospel demands an exalted lifestyle. Okay? This is the issues. Okay? Remember, the first three chapters of this book, what we've been through over this time, is our position in Christ. What are the possession of every child of God? It's what has God done for us. This is in the past. This is already taken care of. God has done all of this. He saved us to be holy. Conform us into the image of Christ. Romans 8. He has saved us to be blameless. So that no one can bring an accusation. In love, we have been predestined. In love, He has adopted us, each and every one of us. We've been made to the praise of His glory. Remember when we looked at it, the angels look at us in awe. In awe. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. We have wisdom. That's, we have a wisdom that is even made known to us the mystery of His will. We've been lifted up to the heights of the heavenlies. He has given us an inheritance that was pre-planned before creation. He gave each believer the Spirit of the living God. 
Each and every one of us live in absolute 100% resurrection power. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are alive from the dead. Resurrection power. We are the true body of believers. We are the true good news, the true gospel. We were lost. We were cut off. Now we are made one. All of this is possible for us by His Holy Spirit that will strengthen you in the inner man so that Christ will settle down, be at home, be comfortable. That then you would be filled with a miraculous love that surpasses knowledge. And then you would be filled with the fullness of God. And then you would experience His infinite power. Each of you have the ability to know the absolute power of the living God. And you know what? He has done all of that for every one of us, for His glory. He has done everything for us. So, Paul says, walk worthy. Live up to it. It is time to live to our position. I remember a professor years ago, Ted Rindle. Stephen Olford read a book every week for his entire life. Some book every week. This is beyond his studies, but he would read a book every week. Dr. Rendell, Dr. Olfer said, was the most read man he had ever known. And I was like, wait a minute, you read a book every week and you're telling me this guy reads more than you? And he says, yeah. He says, his personal library, personal library, Dr. Rendell's, is over 40,000 volumes. And he's read all of them and some of them multiple times. Now, I think about that kind of stuff. And I remember Dr. Rendell telling me this. He was a, a, a professor at uh, some seminary in Western Canada. I can't remember the name of it. Prairie? I don't remember. He's on staff now down in Memphis. And I remember him telling me this. He says, every Christian will live their life based on the size of their God. I was like, what? But then, you know, I thought about it. Yeah. Paul's saying, walk worthy, live up to it. It's time to live to our position. It is time to live to what is our identity. Okay, this transition that you see in chapter 4, please... It is not random. Okay, if you do any even cursory reading of the Apostle Paul's letters, he does this on a regular basis. He goes and takes his theological wheelbarrow up and just dumps it on you 
and then says, therefore. I heard it described this way. First, you give doctrine. All right? Then you give duty. Like Dr. Rendell said, you will only live to the size of your God. You have to have the theology to have the life. See, that's one of the things that, and I told you when I got saved, I asked them what I was supposed to do. They said, well, read the Gospel of John. And so I read the Gospel of John. Then I thought, well, you know, I'll read it twice. I still don't know why I have these other 65 books, but by God, I've read John twice. All right. But that was a mindset of the church because the mindset of the church was to make converts. Okay. How many baptisms did you do a year? Okay. Do you realize how poisonous that is? The great commandment is to make disciples. If you're going to make disciples, you really, really should emphasize who it is you serve. It is amazing to me how many Christians know what they're supposed to do and not supposed to do. But you know what? There are very few can tell you why. Why are I supposed to do that? Why shouldn't I do this? Because you're living your life to the size of your God. You're looking at the things that you deal with. Go check out his thinking. That is theology for life. Doctrine to duty. Listen, doctrine has got to be our basis for what we do. Because what I have learned is when your doctrine grows, your duty flows. I just made that up. That's pretty good, huh? Hey, write that down. Someone write that down because I'll forget that before we get done here. <laughs> Every human being will live their life based on their principles. And I believe that that's some of the trouble that's in the church today. In the body of Christ. We are living it based on our principles. Not on our doctrine. Verse 1 there in chapter 4. Therefore. Okay. Always takes us back to what? Doctrine. Doctrine. Because of all of this doctrine. Therefore. This is your duty. And that's the Apostle Paul. That's how Paul always approaches it. I get people want to come in and ask me a question. When can a Christian divorce? Okay, you know what you just told me? I am not interested in God. Okay? That's what I'm trying to get at. I shared in our Sunday school class, I had a lady one time that told me, it was a long mess, and I don't want to get into all the details of it, but her little neighbor girl had uh, grown up, got out of high school, and was getting ready to go to college, so she moved in with her boyfriend. 
And, and I said, well, I, I thought you said that she was saved. And, well, she is. Why? How, how do you do that? Well, it doesn't matter because her doctrine was if you have sex, then you're married. See what I mean? You're living your life based on the size of your God. Let me give you another illustration. A text that I'm sure all of you are familiar with. Romans chapter 12 starts it off with what? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay? Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Chapter 12, verses 3 to 8 says, use your gifts. He talks about your gifts. They are to be manifested. Your gifts should be seen and utilized. Verse 9, he talks about love. Verse 11, he says, don't be lazy. Verse 12, you are to rejoice. Verse 13, give to the needy. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Very, very, very practical. Chapter 13, how are we to respond to government? How are we to respond to God's standard? Chapter 14, how do we respond to a weaker brother? Chapter 15, how do I carry out ministry? Chapter 16, How do I work with the people who have helped me in my ministry? So 12 to 16 is practical. As Dr. Olford would used to say, flesh it out. Let me see your doctrine. That's how doctrine looks. That's how Romans 12 starts with what? Therefore. Therefore. 12 to 16 is your duty. 1 to 11 is your doctrine. As your doctrine grows, duty flows. Based on the mercies of God, he says. Based on the mercies of God. What are those? Well, it's the first 11 chapters. Mercy He has given us in the first 11 chapters. Chapter 12, He says, now it's your duty. Chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Based on the righteousness of God, this is your duty. Based on the uselessness of law and works, this is your duty. Based on the saving power of faith, this is your duty. Based on peace with God, this is your duty. Based on the fact you're standing in grace, do these things. Based on the promise of glory, 
do these things based on the magnificent gift of his love poured into your heart by the spirit of the living God. Do these things based on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do these things based on the fact that you've been adopted into the family of God. Do these things based on the fact that you've been reconciled with a holy, holy, holy God. Do these things based that you are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is your duty. Based on the fact that you are a slave to Christ. Do these things based on the fact that you have been delivered from sin. Do these things based on the fact that you have been set free from judgment. Guess what? Do these things based on the fact that his eternal work has sanctified you. Do these things based on the fact that you have been justified. Behold, before a holy and righteous God. Do these things based on the fact that you have been seated at the right hand in the heavenlies for glorification. Do these things based on the fact that your security and your salvation. Do these things. Based on the fact that God has unfailing promises. This is your duty. On the basis of all of these great mercies of God. That have been given to sinful man. Paul says. Therefore I beseech you. I urge you. I beg you. By the mercies of God. Service in response to who he is. That's how it lays out. Dr. Spiros Zodiades said it this way. Quote, behavior is always the response to the precept. Unquote. How do I view God? Like Dr. Rendell, live to the size of our God. Let me give you another illustration. Galatians chapter 5. In the first four chapters of Galatians, the apostle basically is showing the liberty that a believer has. The freedom that a believer has. Okay? What is your freedom now that you are saved? Well, you know, I'm free from circumcision. I'm free from the Mosaic Code as a way of salvation. I'm free from the ceremonial laws. Okay? Listen, the moral law has not changed. Just footnote. But I am free from the ceremonial laws. I am free from looking at the law as a way of salvation. The first four chapters, he's basically trying to get the Galatians to realize that their freedom is in Christ. That is where you are free. And then at the close of chapter 4, he uh, says this, Cast out the bondwoman and her son. 
For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir to the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. Okay, now what he's doing there, he's contrasting Sarah and Hagar. Okay? And, and, and he's doing it to show one was a bond, a slave woman. And he says, you're not in that anymore. You are with the free woman. Then he begins there in chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Okay. The actual, if you go to a lexicon and you look at the actual Greek sentence, it says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And these first four verses are a summary. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, what? Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Religiosity. Stand fast. Stand fast. Do not put the yoke of slavery back on based on the theology of freedom that I have just given you in the first four chapters. Don't go back to legalism. Don't go back to dead works. And then chapter 5 and 6 is what? The practice of this new freedom. See how he does it? This is important. When you and I study, you should always, 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 always first look at the theology. What is God telling me about himself? Theo is God. Ology is study. It's the study of God. So when I'm looking at theology, I'm trying to say, who are you? Because when I start grabbing a hold of who he is, service is simple. It's almost like it's second nature. But it won't be unless you know him. Let me give you another illustration. Listen. If you're a good teacher, a biblical teacher, Okay, you will always deal with the doctrine and you will hammer it and 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 you will not let it go. Peter even said it when he wrote, I am writing to remind you. Why? Because what happened to the church in Ephesus? They had right doctrine. Right? They had great works. They were abounding in their works. They had their duty going rock and roll. But what happened? They lost their first love. You know what that means? They misplaced their theology. It become doing Doing comes when the doctrine is intact. 
Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, there's that word again. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the Spirit, Intent on one purpose. It's a great truth in the last... You go look at the first chapter of Philippians and it'll shock you. Of the theology, it's just in that little bitty text. What Christ's life has done. And and I, I share it that way because it's past tense. He's... He's, he's already done this. You are in Him now. His sacrifice, His love, His unity. Now then, all of the stuff that you see in chapter 1 about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he starts in chapter 2 with, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in who? In Christ. Be of the same mind. Maintain the same love. United in the Spirit. You know all that is? It's theology. It's theology. If there's any fellowship, then let the fellowship be what? Like-minded. If our theology is this, then our behavior is to be this too. If our theology, we understand the person of Christ and what he's done, then guess what? It should be unifying. Listen, I was setting this, this is part of that wrestling I was doing, and then I was writing this morning. And and I just kind of sat back in my chair and I thought, I thought, you know what? We the body of Christ are in desperate need of a therefore. A lot of what I see in church growth movement right now is duty. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay? Why? Because inevitably when you get into that mindset... What happens to your theology? You start lowering it. Why? Well, I just don't want to do that much, so I'll bring it down a little bit. Instead of exalting God to back to where He is, who He is, what He's already done, and then allowing Him to work. Henry Black would be made the statement one time that it's not a matter of you doing for God. It is you, it's a matter of you knowing God and what He's doing. That's the difference. Well, I see a lot of the church stuff out there today. It is just methodology. And you know, I... It breaks my heart the number of pastors that I've heard here in this community tell me that 
doctrine is boring. And I'm like, you're the shepherds. And if the shepherd is bored with the doctrine, guess what's up with the sheep? We are in desperate need of a therefore. I'll give you another illustration. Are you seeing a pattern yet? Okay. Just making sure. Colossians. Chapter 3. You don't get to therefore until verse 5. The first two chapters present to us Jesus Christ. Except for maybe Hebrews 1, there is no greater section on the exaltation of the person of Christ. Okay? Hebrews 1 is good. But I would put these two chapters against it. Because it it, it will. I mean, it it, it caused your brain to hurt. Chapter 2, verse Eight, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Okay, here we move on. Anyway, empty deceptions according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him, all the fullness of deity dwells in the body, bodily form. And in Him, you have been made Complete. You know what that means? You're lacking nothing. Made complete. He is head over all rule and authority. And in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. But the removal of the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ. You have been buried with Him in baptism in which you were raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your trespasses and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him in forgiving us our trespasses. He has canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us. He has taken it all out of the way, having nailed it to a cross. That's just bits and pieces of what he does in the first two chapters. Chapter 3, therefore, you have been raised up. Because of what Christ did, therefore... Because of that doctrine of He is all in all. Because you are complete in Him. You have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed. Then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Okay, theology, 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 theology. Therefore, in verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. 
See what he just did? This is your theology. Out of that flows the deadness of your temporal. We, when, when it says that he is all in all, Christ is everything, there's no need for anything else. Therefore, have been risen with Christ, have exalted to the heavenly citizenship is out of this world. Life is hid in Christ. Verse 4 ends the doctrine. Verse 5 begins the duty. Okay? Now then, a couple of things I want to kind of sum this up with. One, if you're going to teach, okay, first of all, know that your life will reflect your God. Got it? We have a tendency because of, of our humanness. We want to tell you these are the things you should and these are the things you shouldn't do. Okay? I, I see it all the time. And it's, and it's funny because it's almost like everybody knows all of them. I know exactly what I should and shouldn't do. Do you know Why? That's where the shocker is. I've uh, been to Russia a number of times, you know that, and I've visited a lot of Russian Orthodox Church. They're funny. Because one of the things that I was there, we were having a, a global thing going on down in the Colorado Springs where a pastor got caught being stupid. But he was living his life on the basis of his theology. So I asked when I was in the evangelical church, how many divorces do you guys have? They looked like I'd just fallen off a turnip truck. There's no divorce in the church. And then he explained how they did it. There's no dating. Uh, you don't see anybody outside of the body of Christ, male or female. There is no dating. If you find somebody that's in your youth group or whatever that you kind of think, well, you know, I'd like to maybe marry that thing. And, and you do that. You hang out in church. That's it. All right. But you know what? There's no divorce. Why? Why? God hates divorce. Okay. Well, I don't want to do something that God hates. But in the Russian Orthodox Church, I found it hilarious because I was talking to a priest or whatever they call him. I don't remember what they call him. Anyway, I was talking to him and I said, uh, um, does the Orthodox Church have divorce? Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. God hates divorce. But you can have mistresses. I was like, well, well, there you go. (laughs) I guess that solves that. See what happened? Here's my God. 
Here's their God. See the difference? All right? Why would you want to marry an unbeliever? Well, you don't understand, Pastor. God might use me to bring him or her to salvation. No, he won't. How can he honor disobedience? Just a dumb question. Why? You can't serve two masters. See what I mean? See, I know why not. Because I spent enough years now looking at who is my God. So what I do comes out of my doctrine. And as my doctrine grows, my duty flows. I think I can make a bumper sticker or something, get rich and famous. What do you think? Ain't nobody would buy it. Because <laughs> it's like he said. I mean, if the pastors in town think doctrine is boring, <laughs> they ain't nobody going to stick a bumper sticker on. Listen. If you're going to teach, you must teach the person of God. And where I would start first and foremost and wear yourself out is His holiness. Because He is set apart from what you and I know. You start there. And out of that flows everything else. And then eventually you'll end up knowing what... You know what I've learned is, is the more I know about God, I know what He wants. I don't have to go look at 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians to figure out what He wants. I know what He wants. Why? Because I know Him. Listen, this is a constant principle in the New Testament. Okay? I've just shown you that. Okay? It's in Galatians, it's in Philippians, it's in Colossians, it's in Ephesians, it's in Romans. Would you like me to show you more? Because there's more. He does it in Thessalonica. It's, it's everywhere. This is how it's done. Why? I want to tell you how awesome your God is. And in light of His awesomeness, do this. It's the basic teaching for principle and for living. You teach the principle and then it will change the life. I've had people leave this church in the past and they said, we left because all you do is teach doctrine. Okay. I'm guilty. I hope one of these days I grow up to be a theologian. All right? I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. But now you guys know why I do it. It's easy to sit around and say the do's and don'ts. It's a lot harder. That's when people tell me they're saved. I'll listen to them and whatever. And I'll say... Tell me five things about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how many people can't tell me five things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they can tell me some really cool stuff about somebody they've made up. But they, I, I, and I, I, how, how do you do that? How do you do that? 
I did it out at cowboy camp a number of years ago. And <laughs> I watched people's heads start exploding. Of course, then, you know, I came back from dinner. I was teaching. I taught multiple times. I came back from dinner and came into the tent. And everybody stopped me. Tell me five things about Jesus Christ. That's what they wanted me to, they wanted me to tell them. I said, well, let's get going. And so I just took off of the list. And they're all sitting there going, oh, no, 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 no. And they're like, well, that's not five. No, I want more. I got more. It's like the longer you hang out with somebody, you know what? The more you know about them. Apostle Paul, back to our text in Ephesians. He uses the word, the New American Standard translates it here, implore. I implore you, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called. And that calling you see in the first three chapters. We will live our lives according to the size of our God. And once you get to the size of your God, then you will work, walk. That's hard to say. You will walk worthy of the size of your God. Okay? See what I mean? I didn't know how this was going to turn out. I didn't know if it was to teach you to teach or to, was it theology? Was it a Bible study? I don't know. I hope you get something out of it. If not, read the first two chapters of Philippians <laughs> and Colossians and Thessalonians. And now, just kidding. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. What an awesome God we serve. Father, I pray that the people of this fellowship who hunger and thirst for your word will be overwhelmed every time they open it up. And that, Father, that their understanding of you will just grow with leaps and bounds. Thank you, my King, for the amazing things you do. Thank you for the things you've shown us. Thank you for your promises. Father, thank you that you have made us joint heirs with Christ. And that, Father, uh, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, that you can even strengthen us in the inner man, that Christ would be at ease in our souls. And Father, we would understand the miraculous love that held Jesus on that cross for our sins. And that, Father, we'd be filled with the fullness of God and we would experience firsthand, personally, the infinite power of you who spoke existence into being. Thank you, my King. In Christ's name.